My name is Michael. I'm a Pisces. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite color is uh, green, I think. I haven't really thought about the subject deeply. to the Treehouse Podcast. This particular episode is brought to you by... No, I'm just kidding. This particular episode is a conversation I had with Michael Schultz, who is uh, a guy I met at a music festival, sort of outspoken and opinionated. I thought he would make for a good guest for the podcast. I think he did. We were initially supposed to talk about his musical project, which is Woke Wave, um, his project along with his friends. But we sort of ended up spanning... A series of subjects in the three or so hours that we spoke. Um, What I'm about to play for you today in this episode are some excerpts from our conversation. There are also some songs in between, the name of which you can find in the description for the episode. But anyway, this was a conversation that we had when Mike was in Seattle last week. Um, I hope you find it as enjoyable as I did, and I hope you're having a good night or a good day wherever you may be, wherever you may be listening. Enjoy. when you're like stuck in the day-to-day it's easy to forget but like what motivated you in the first place and like kind of why did you want the securities and luxuries that you earned like which would be the opportunity to go out and enjoy experiences like that and to go out and reflect on how you appreciated them when you first had them versus now when they kind of feel routine at times Mm -hmm. um that's a very interesting thing to do very interesting to look at your relationships and like the way you talk to people when you reflect yourself as a younger uh, there's this idea I came across recently. It's by this columnist, uh, David Brooks. He uh, writes for the New York Times. He's kind of a conservative leaning, but it's the ideas of the second mountain. Okay. And the idea is that the first part of your life, you're busy climbing this mountain, but you don't know necessarily why you're doing it. You graduate from university, you got to get a good job, right? Then you've got a good job, you got to impress the bosses, so they make you a permanent kind of position, so you become indispensable. And then you achieve that. And once you're indispensable, though, you start to have to ask yourself, you know, do I want to go to that next level where I have to make it encompassing of all my life if I want to keep succeeding? And okay. it's, wow. it's very, um, you know, sometimes people walk away from it. Sometimes people say, that I'm not sure necessarily this represents or is what I want to do. I found that's what happened to me with government policy because I started to realize the things that would get me into those positions 
were not the traits I wanted to be known for, right? Okay. They were more about networking. They were more about gossiping. They were more about playing the game. Yeah, absolutely. And, but, and it was also, I found the discussion of politics becoming very superficial in politics. Amongst those people, I'd go for drinks for them, right? Yeah. And they'd talk more about relationships between people who mm-hmm. yelled in the office. Yeah, who, absolutely. And it was just like, I want to get to the meat. You I essentially w- summarize the extent of the office outside of its office. Yeah. What people talk about, a few drinks in, inevitably, at any office event, be it a happy hour, dinner, lunch, yeah. a couple of drinks, two hours, and people immediately start resorting to the only thing they have in common, essentially, which is the people that they know. It's, it's human. Yeah. We're, it's, we're it's tribal. Human. It's know? tribal, which, which but, makes you doubt the, the need for yeah. an extended break. I mean, as much of a person on a personal level, like I'm asking myself, do I need an extended break? If it's tribal, I'm sure they didn't just get sick of it after a few years. Well, that's the idea of that. that so the first mountain is when you climbed like the high level when you thought what you were supposed to do. The second mountain though, is in the valley in between is this kind of like period you take off, right? Okay. In which you decompose and deconstruct yourself. And that is you were a shed, you shed yourself off of adornments that attach you and the personality you presented yourself, which is called a persona in Jungian psychology. Yeah, and the yeah, whole idea, yes. Yeah, and the idea behind it is that that's this kind of like image you present yourself to the world with. And that not a bit of it's bad, but if you wholly identify with it, like if all your successes, incentives, and encouragement that you take in life is solely from the you know, attainment from, of this ideal that's yes. not really you, but what you do in the deconstruction, religious myth deals with this constantly. The story of Christ is the story about a self-sacrifice, mm-hmm. um, which then ends up revealing to the tribe that you know they were driven by violent resentment more than anything else. But it's then he allows them to re, uh, kind of define and represent himself. But it's Buddhist about that also. It's about this kind of idea of like the first life of Siddhartha, where he's a king. He kind of ends up seeing the parts of his life that were a lie that were hidden from him death poverty and suffering and then he sits under the uh the bonsai tree and ends up becoming the buddha right and it's more this after you've recognized kind of what actually motivates you and what actually interests you and even the question of what motivates you and what interests you is a whole different realm of interest that i you know curiosity my question for you is this uh this mountain yeah. And the valley beneath it. it. Is it periodical or is it a once in a lifetime sort of Siddhartha? Oh, I'm saying it's once in a lifetime. And I think it happens to men. I can speak about men in particular. I hate to specify. I, I do suppose it probably happens to a lot, lot of women, but I can only really know. Yeah. But it seems to be no, better. Go ahead. I mean, but, you're referring to what's currently known as like a midlife crisis for, for a man, well, even though it can happen. At, midlife like, crisis seems to be if you ignore this. Actually, that's what it seems to be um, in what I've That's observed. interesting. So you see, you know, the, the stereotypical purchase of a car is like uh, almost an inflammation of that. Well, of I, I feel this that, sign was missed by those people. It's a, it's a, it's a direct, different path almost to a certain degree. And if you ignore it, you end up trying to go back if, to the beginning. It flares up, yeah, almost like uh, if you if you ignore this crisis, it, it manifests itself in in purchase in in the in the infectiousness of the. Well, the shadow itself. takes over, yeah. right? The shadow yeah, takes yeah, over yeah, your psychology, directs your behavior. Yeah, that's a that's a really good way to put it. And it's definitely, I'm sure that a lot of people that were if they were to listen to this, may have been swayed, if they if they could to do a reset like we were saying to to take a few months off the um it's interesting that of out of some of the things that you um you remember if there's one if there's one thing i just uh, to caution all that you know there's uh 
I'm stealing this from Conan O'Brien, who stole it from uh, Frederick Nietzsche. And the whole idea is that uh, that what doesn't kill you only makes, makes you stronger. stronger yeah. However, what they fail to emphasize, and this is what Conan O'Brien adds, um, is that it nearly kills you. <laughs> and so there's no underestimation of how damaging that kind of persona kind of replication is. And there's a reason, you know, people don't do it. And there's a reason why people skip and ignore it, because it means taking a, you know, a risk and a shot and a, like, you know, confronting yourself, if not only yourself, in a way that you're not really encouraged to do. truly believe Mussolini and like corporatism in general like the Italian fascist structure of government was the original like origin of all of this and mm -hmm. like kind of the what's happening in the terms they call them stakeholders in government but it's emerging a political public interest in the same mm -hmm. way that the Italians under Mussolini had the corporate zoni uh, organizations and institutions that would align industrial interests and uh, public interests mm -hmm. and you're you're seeing that kind of like model emerging all across well, and the clown yeah. which is Mussolini was the military version of a clown that just got out of control because the clown shouldn't yeah. be in control of the uh, military I mean, there was recklessly uh, yeah. but it's just it's a different model now because we're weaker now than we were that's interesting that you say ago. that I, I I feel like fascism, yes, was an interpretation of what was what was happening at that time. It definitely was a take on that movement. My grandfather was actually a fascist, full-on fascist. Yeah, <laughs> that's awful. <laughs> I mean, no, no, that's, that's, that's okay. Can I, can I expand on that though? Can I? Yeah, no, of course. Sorry, of no, course. no, no, no. Sorry. Of course, you should. <laughs> no, this is great. This is great, Mike. Um, so, can I take offense to people saying he's a fascist? Mm. Hey, my grandfather was a fascist. Show some respect. <laughs> No, but uh, I'd say one thing, right, in response to your uh, grandfather having been a fascist, <laughs> is that when people read history, and this is the thing that frustrates me, again, your, that chair just jumps out at me, yeah. but the thing that frustrates me about this current moment in political history is that we all think about the Nazis, we all think about the fascists, we all think about these rises throughout I'm history, sorry. and we say, oh, I'd be the person who'd resist. I'd be the one who'd be stepping out of line. It's like, that's not how you're supposed to read history. You're supposed to read history as though you're the persecutor. No. How do you get sucked up into these movements? You know what, though? It irks me when people say, oh, he's a Nazi. What a Nazi. Did you punch a Nazi? Oh, I, I want to punch, punch a Nazi. I think Nazi is, at this point, first of all, those are not Nazis. Mm -hmm. Just because somebody's an asshole and has certain beliefs, is a right-wing asshole, whatever. It's a lazy it metaphor. It does not mean he's a fucking Nazi. Like, Nazi is a very specific meaning. Nazi is essentially the new terrorist. Like, he's a fucking terrorist. Uh, terrorist. It's, it's the, new, the new bad buzzword that, that we assign to people. Um, it, so I that's have, a, but I have a question, right? Because yeah. I, I think here's what's happening, right? Is that people are recognizing something's off. Yeah, and they need well, to understand something's what, been off for a long time something has been but we're only just noticing I, mm. I, to a large extent i feel like i've been on this train for 15 years man <laughs> uh, i make the argument it goes back since about the 1970s i think you can yeah. really point out 1973 the oil crisis is about where there's a 
break off between productivity and um, um, income growth. Yeah. And like where it just all starts to go towards capital and labor just gonna absolutely crush. And that just resulted in all these kind of unpredicted, unknown responses, but it's also led to like just, you know, the increased importance of finance. It's like an increased importance of tertiary and secondary markets, whereas primary development of the things doesn't really matter anymore. And so it's disconnected us from okay. material reality. Okay. In an interesting world. When way. did you come to this realization that you did you personally feel disconnected from? Well, you, I was I was sitting in a field on my own. <laughs> <laughs> did uh, it take something? No, no. What ad, what advice would you give to men who's who's felt some resonance with your words about oh, taking it, a it's break? Everything I've, I'm saying and everything like I, I I think in order to structure my thinking is drawn from influence it's drawn from i'm just i stand on the shoulder of giants in the word of hawkins right it's <laughs> oh. in the world of abandoning canadian politics i stand on the shoulders of giants absolutely <laughs> donald savoie <laughs> nobody will ever know any of these uh, theorists that are listening right now but donald savoie c.s franks in uh canada they've, they've been saying this in plain sight for 40 years and it's, it's a stick but in you know there's authors in the united states as well Thomas Franks is actually a really good one, uh, pointing out that the you know dissolution hollowing out of the Democratic Party in the United States and the hollowing out of the political process since about the 1970s. He draws the same kind of conclusions, but you can even go back to Hunter S. Thompson. He gets into this kind of like okay. um, field, but it's been happening in all sectors of the economy. It's not only government; it's the corporate sector, it's the not-for-profit sector. There's this administrative hollowed out unfun, hmm. unfun I mean it's always been unfun though, right? unfun is a bad way to put it but it's uninvolved it's, <sighs> it's like uh, it's removed is it safe to say you just grew tired of the office bullshit oh, is that essentially what it boils I'm down to I'm a bad person don't get me wrong I'm just no, I mean <laughs> I'm just no I don't, I'm not a bad person I'm disagreeable right I'm a kind of person who gets confrontational when I'm frustrated, but not always clear on why I'm frustrated. Um, and it's a, not a good attitude for the workplace. However, I spent so long trying to align myself within the workplace that I learned to behave in a manner that was kind of like mechanical. Okay. It was kind of like I had to do it in order to survive. I but think I you didn't. just described the situation very well, very eloquently. You described yeah. the situation of probably 90% of the people. But I would own, here's exactly it. I feel this is where the real crisis in our society is. And you know, I'll speak to you myself personally, sorry, um, is that the creative class in our society, which would be in traditionally and historically the nobles, and there's an obligation that they have to the broader society right however it seems to me the creative class has very much removed itself mm. from its responsibilities but it's done so through an, a line of rational argument that makes perfect sense and that okay. is the discrediting of you know the political structure and institutional structures of the of the west and so they feel no real response you know, if you're a government employee and you're told you have to follow values and ethics, these are things you talk about a lot, you promulgate a lot, you communicate a lot. However, when it comes to actually acting them out, you don't even know how to. You're a house cat, goddammit. You get, like, raises all the time. Everything's gone well for you if you just toe the line. And to actually think outside that line, yeah. you don't even know where to start because you sound silly and people yeah. disagree with you every single time. Yeah. And it's, there's no reward for speaking what you actually think. Most of, here's, you know, I have many, like, at the end, last three years of my government career, I kind of, I had been put on a leave of absence in 2015, 
it was technically a mental health leave, but I ended up just going to a Trump rally in South Carolina. <laughs> and like, you know, the whole like, I, I just found that everything I was doing was so silly. It was such a, a theatrical performance. I was, you know, at the time, yeah, was working as like an observer of the Business Development Bank of Canada, which is this $27 billion equity-based bank that lends out loans to small businesses and to venture capitalists. And Canada, gov the government of Canada technically, or practically runs the Canadian venture capital market, but it never even was discussed in Parliament once Bit or in public of, sight yeah. that the government of Canada had taken over the... Uh, they privatized essentially without actually telling anyone. Venture, but everything, all the venture capitalists acted like they were private, getting private returns. They're yeah. all losing money. And they're just like, this is silly. And so I ended up, you know, just kind of gravitating towards things that seemed to be angry at that kind of world. Mm -hmm. And Trump was just this like, I didn't agree with a single goddamn word he was saying. I couldn't disagree more. No, with I think people. you did the right job and um, did a good job going to the Trump rally. That seems like a really interesting event just to attend. Yeah. Um, well, but, witness. but I came back after and I decided, all right, I'm going to just try and save as much money as I can so I can quit and take a few years off and figure shit out, pay off my student loans, get everything yeah, done. Yeah. And so at that point, I got back to work, but I, I also had to still work. Yeah. And so, but I decided to go all Andy Kaufman. I don't know if you're familiar with him. And I mean, which Andy Kaufman? The comedian. <laughs> which one of, no, no, no. Which one of his characters? <laughs> oh, more of the... Like the per the prankster, the person who okay. like the mess with the format itself, right? Yeah, you know. So I do things like I disappear for weeks. I would, you know, contradict, okay. contradict people in the mm -hmm. office. I I had a tendency for going into boardrooms before that's, meetings and putting up large stretched out photos yeah. of the queen. Um, that's, that's really interesting. That essentially a, a lot of how you were perceived at work, mm -hmm. your the work itself was what you were. Uh, is whatever you you mm -hmm. manifested absolutely uh, yeah, that's a really interesting point but how much of it was actually you know the like the work that you put out was your work distinguishable oh, almost? oh i made i made sure at that point in my career that my work was actually like pristine like it was the best work like yeah. it, it became the model for the rest of the department mm -hmm. or not department but like the branch or something yeah. at the time you know, and it happened a few times. I was actually leading a few policies the more and more out there I got. And I actually couldn't believe the shit I was saying at times. Like, I, I thought someone's got to rein me in. This has to happen. So I, you stopped before actually being a politician yourself almost, like before you actually had to represent these policies that you were pushing. Well, I would never become a politician. I would be a, like, you, you know, you end up becoming like an assistant deputy minister, right? Or something assistant, along those okay. lines, which is so absurd, right? It just, what does that even mean? musical project you want to tell us a little bit about it for sure so the thing with woke wave is it was just a project that my friend and i had been working on uh over the course about three months over the summer we just get together at his place we'd hang out anyways and it was just we started playing with instruments mm -hmm. he built a nice little kind of studio in his living room 
I had some guitars. We'd use the Teenage Engineering. It's a Swedish uh, bass synthesizer company. Okay. Uh, they have a product called the OP1. Uh, we'd just loop those together as a tape track on it and a bunch of synthesizers and we'd plug instruments in mm -hmm. and we just wound up with all these stems and it's like these are kind of cool and fun yeah. I got really into working on Logic uh, which is music production software mm -hmm. and, shout out to know, Logic what's that? shout out to Logic shout out to Logic shout out to Apple small mom and pop company represent <laughs> uh, <laughs> it might be big one day Anyways, uh, well, so the yeah, Wokewave is an instrumental band and disruptive synergistic catalyst for leveraging social, environmental, and technological innovation to create a more equal and more better social good for civil society. So that, I I, sorry, DJ, for question. No, 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 I have no, to no. explain myself in that statement? Because <laughs> I do, because that's a hell of a thing to say about anything ever. Um, yeah, the whole idea is we thought it would be funny to take songs that had no words and add a whole border bunch of moral and social commentary just import it and put it onto it even though it had <laughs> that sounds very jarring though the album is not jarring no all, that was the joke you know i think it was a self-deprecating joke that in a way was probably a bit of self-defensiveness just because it's the first thing i'd ever no, i definitely have to give you guys credit for the aesthetic of it all and the way you represented it and the information oh. i found it to be quite clever and funny oh, that's all with the music being surprisingly good actually like i, I really <laughs> liked the album as well I I think we so, accidentally, um, to be, uh, full stop, uh, I should point out my collaborator is Matthew Beaudry. Uh, yeah, he's yeah, a shout friend out. I've had since, uh, and hopefully he might come by tonight. However, I've read that one of our friends accidentally took them an hour out of the city. They went to West it's Seattle. So, I have half of Wokewave. It's enough. <laughs> yeah, but Matthew's a very interesting guy. He works for a company in Ottawa. It's based out of San Francisco, but Survey Monkey. And I, I've been friends with them since we were 15, and we just got together, we were hanging out, we were hanging out a lot over the years, taste, uh, listen to music a lot together, go to concerts a lot together, and it's just like, why not actually start working on stuff? And we just liked it, and I'm eventually planning on moving back to Ottawa. it's a worthwhile task to like you know do the dirty work of cutting stuff up and doing the ugly work right because you get all this knowledge and then that knowledge allows you to repair yourself you know that's true yeah and it's the things a, around you <laughs> yeah, but and you know it's you don't know how your body works but knowledge of how your body works is still helpful you Absolutely, know, yeah. it will it will do things without you. Oh, knowing. sure. I mean, we know a remarkable amount, especially in the, in the last few decades. We've yeah, one thing I've gotten a big fan of is, um, and I think people who play sports recognize this as well. But I think playing music is another example of it. Is getting to the point of mechanical memorization, mm. like where you can do things literally. Like I could play probably ukulele while having a conversation with you. And the Go reason, for it, yeah. <laughs> and the reason for that is that oh, it's just simply. It's just what happens is that you don't actually have to think about it because it's yeah. like 
held off the information to a different part of your brain. Mm-hmm. It's just, I'm not going to... Not, not everybody has that. That's, that's a, no, that's everyone a does. Sure. I think that used to be oh. the main industrial, like the main industrial work form used to be that, was this assembly line kind of style of you do the thing, but you're not thinking about it necessarily. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of have this medium level consciousness that allows you to like plan your future and think about your life and your relationships and your uh, associations to everything while at the same time still getting a productive function done. And I think that, and there's a... Well put, well put. There's a philosopher, Amen. Matthew Crawford. Uh, he wrote this book called um, Shop, Class, Shop Class is Soulcraft. And the whole idea is that he maintained motorcycles. And okay. uh, it was by having... Kept him this, lucid, kept him in the moment. This procedural, yeah, yeah. kind of like thing where you know the next step and you know how to do it. You can kind of just get it done, but it feels productive and good to do it. But also at the same time, it's not occupying all your cognitive space right. it's a very uh underappreciated kind of uh, yeah, level of consciousness yeah. yeah it's interesting it's uh one of one billion billions of interpretations of existence i think in the universe i think there's five yeah. you think there's five five oh, interpretations five that's a good that's a good number but very low very specific They're very all, specific yeah. five interpretations in yeah christianity gets it right three times Okay. I'm just, I'm just messing with you. Lottery numbers. Yeah. Lottery numbers, everyone. Yeah. Um, so what are uh, what are your beliefs in terms of existence of life in the in the? Universe? I believe it exists, uh, but in a limited amount. What serious or? Oh no! Like I, I think we're here, and I think we have to deal with that fact. Like I think, and I think there's. Yeah, I mean, the, just be, you know, acceptance of other civilizations doesn't necessarily mean you don't have to deal with the fact of your own. No, we have to deal with that. We are here and we're in control of this flesh mechanism that yes, yeah, other people yeah. expect things from, you know, and so <laughs> people expect things from, and but, but that's a worthwhile. Oh my god, how, you know, what's worse is when people don't expect things from you. That's hmm. so much worse. It's a balancing act, like everything in life. I think there's an ethical responsibility for a person to take on the most like duty that they can. Interesting, and I like think a the, call to arms. A call, to, a, a call to adventure, a call to arms, whatever you want to call it. And I, and I think that's constantly represented through our cultures. I think every story has it at the basis of it, and for good reason. Adventure of the hero. It, it's the adventure of the hero, and yeah. without that, we seem to go insane, and it's, we go looking for it in the wrong places. And that's <laughs> you know, that's the whole myth of Pinocchio, right? Is that like? <laughs> that's true, Pinocchio, Jesus, Darta, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the myths are they're that's the whole Joseph Campbell kind of like yeah, world, yeah. right? Is that like and Jungian kind of concept that myth is story, and like as, but they're evolved stories, cultural like traits and memes that like tell us how we should live and pattern our yeah. behavior. Look to the memetics. Look to always oh, back to the to medics, them. baby. It's an alignment game. It is. If you were to visualize it, it no, almost everything be... is a music's an alignment game. That's what harmony is. It, it's, it's it's all the same game. It's, it's a balance. We, at our best, we're able to recognize the transcendent, the truth, in moments in split seconds. Is the truth a representation? In 
It, it, and is it truth, fair to say that balance is truth and truth is balance at this point? I it's essentially it. in every facet of life. Balance, I would agree. Balance yeah, and yeah. moderation. Yeah. It's equilibrium. I would equilibrium. put it better. Yeah. Uh, it's what John Ralston saw, the Canadian uh, ph- uh, philosopher. A lot of good Canadian shout-outs tonight. Oh, my God. Canadians are... Harold Innes, uh, uh, Marshall McLuhan. These, I think Marshall McLuhan's Canadian. Uh, anyways. <laughs> we'll <laughs> no. give it to you anyway. We'll give it to you. Yeah, no, no it's they're... true. Canada does seem to have... Again, it's it's the Commonwealth inspiration. It's cold, it's the, and there's not much else to do other it's than... It's also like, more of a British colony than the U.S. is. It's still... But the, well, the U.S. creates more geniuses than any other place in the world. Per capita? Or, I mean, we're saying if Canada, if Canada were a state, which you could probably make population-wise... A I think Canada, in function, is a state. I, it, I, I it see is, it as a yeah. vassal state of the United it States. Is. It has like its own. Uh, it's sort of like Wales or one of the. It's 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 in theory it's its own country and it likes to pride itself on being its own theory uh, uh, society. Yeah. But in reality, it's it does. Well, granted, we can get concessions, but we're like a powerful state, a right. very powerful state, very very powerful state. And but in reality, we will do what the United States wants at the end of the day, and for good reason. It's. And Harold Innes, one of the Canadian uh, legends that I've uh, alluded to. Oh, another good call out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he came up with the concept of staples theory, right? And staples theory is this resource uh, extraction based theory that can, it was founded on the uh, idea that was founded actually by the Hudson Bay Company, which later became the Bay. And, but which is still around today. It's about 400, 500 years old as a corporation. It's up there with like the India, East India Company in terms of UK companies. And anyways, they founded most of Canada. They would send uh, merchants and kind of um, these explorers to go map out the Hudson Bay around Quebec, okay, Ontario. That's, yeah, yeah, that's and, um, geographers. If you absolutely. But they sent all these materials would then be sent back to UK for processing, right? And mm-hmm. for like kind of secondary and tertiary level value adding. And so Canada was always just about, you know, drawers of water, hewers of wood. And so, but you can look actually at that history to understand Canada's politics, to understand its economy. And still to this day, right, you know, Alberta's in big trouble right now because the price of oil's fallen because of fracking in the United States. And so, you know, one saw fracking happening and Alberta's no longer to plan, is no longer able to plan long term because um, they couldn't depend on the price of oil the way they thought that it could. Right, right. And so that, that whole state came to a crumble, essentially. Is it that- crumbles uh interesting it's not like it's somalia but like it's you know there's <laughs> not intra- yeah. inner city warfare yeah. or anything isn't but cra- yeah isn't it crazy how like a good 90 percent of uber drivers are east africans they come from somalia they come from ethiopia they come from eritrea well i i think what you find is in any society first world society is that the first generation is usually the hardest working and absolutely the, because the they sec- have to prove themselves yeah yeah and they they do whatever's necessary they, they, they sacrifice the, stakes the second generation then generally the, becomes the well-off generation the stakes for the first generation are we'll, we'll send you back well yeah. and the second generation though learns from that example the first absolutely because they have them as parents and exa- exactly the second generation all my grandparents were hard-working people mm. fourth snapchat well it's the <laughs> third and fourth fall apart right and that's like common across all cultures and like you know it's when you look at statistics it's not a good idea to look at who the poorest people are because you can almost if they're new poor they, they're second generation are going to be rich yeah almost always but how amazing is it that the u.s has managed to enrich all these different immigratory populations like america just, oh america is the miracle yeah, of, of human, almost human like history, which is so infuriating. It, the fact oh, that they're trying to buddy, limit buddy. 
I went to the pot store the other day, just down down on Ike's. I I shouldn't name it because I don't want to name the person. Uncle Uncle Ike's. But honestly, I I was talking to the guy about, you know. Sorry, can I I interject? Yeah. I do not like the vibe of that on Uncle Ike's. I've been there uh, four or five times. It feels tense. It feels nervous. It feels like you're almost getting into a club. I feel like there are pot stories where... They realize it's almost like a tea shop. Yeah, yeah. They just sort of let you in. That's fair. I'm a, I'm a tourist. I don't know much. No, no, no. This is super close, so it's super yeah. convenient. But Uncle X is a little tense for me. Yeah. Um, I found, uh, shout out to Trees on, <laughs> <laughs> on Greenwood Avenue. Always very relaxed and never never feel tense in there. Anyway, yeah. sorry. You, what did you notice? No, no, no. I found this the most bizarre thing I've experienced in the United States ever. Oh, God. Because I, coming into the United States as a kid, everyone fucking loves America and America. They do, they do. They, the thing is, Americans don't even realize how much they're loved. They're completely oblivious but to But even it. in America, Americans loved Americans, right? But it's, every country really deep down loves itself. But, but, but Americans but, don't realize how loved they are in other nations. But the thing that was peculiar to me is this guy was just shitting on America to tourists, like to people mm-hmm. who acknowledge it. And I was just like, I've never seen that before. I've never seen people start to say bad things about America that were from America. Oh, and okay, okay. I found that so bizarre because I, I mean, get, you know, I get that. It's absolutely necessary to have that as a functioning society, to have people be able to yell to the streets what they hate about the government. But to do that to a tourist, to someone who's not from the country, like I would never, someone came to Canada. Oh, wait, wait, somebody did that to... To me at Ike's. And started just ranting about the... About U- America. And they're like, oh, and they were saying all this bad stuff about what's going on. Like, you must just be watching us thinking we're crazy. It's like, well, hold on. To a certain mm-hmm. degree, but it's like you live in Seattle. You're Every, selling mm-hmm. pot at the pot store. It's just like There's look at the things just, you're capable of yeah. a, and able to do right now, and look at kind of these opportunities that you have right now. It's like this is I America agree, too. But I think that every single nationality in the world has that same dichotomy, where they're extremely proud of their accomplishments, and then they're extremely apologetic to to people that come visit and say, oh, "We're so sorry. We're so sorry. Like yeah. we know that we're fucked." I, I see. But America was never like that before. That's interesting. New. So that, you I, that think is that brand new to me. Okay, let me give you the worst example of anything I ever saw in my life in the Oof, in an organizational context. We were they did a reorganization my a branch and department, and they just moved a whole bunch of people. And they only told us the day of, right? And then they sent out a bunch of like these uh, deputy uh, assistant deputy ministers, associate deputy ministers, ADMs. to go ease everybody and just like tell them like you know here's our strategy, here's what we're doing. And so they called a meeting of. All of us, like in one sector, down to this one boardroom, which was about five times too small. And so we had to stand outside the boardroom while the associate deputy minister, who had not ever, who had just been hired like a few months before (laughs) that, started telling everyone, he's just like, 
Hey, no one could hear him. But I was standing close to him, I could hear him. And he starts telling everyone, he's just like, you know, I don't care about what you've been working on. We're just about breaking down silos. And you know, I used to work for the I used to work for the Prime Minister during 9-11. I was the national security advisor. And uh, you know, that happened and the best trait that I brought is that I knew who to communicate, who to call Break every day. Down silos. And he wasn't saying this loudly enough for anybody to hear. No one could hear. But Did also you repeat the, it to the to the, the to the people? <laughs> everyone yells it back a bit, like occupy Wall Street or something. Oh my god. Yeah, exactly. No. They needed a speaker. Maybe that's why you were there, Mike. Maybe but you were the speaker. Here we it gets better. Break down silos. Break <laughs> it's like a Spartacus. There moment. is nothing more simplistic. I'm sorry, this is gonna sound very Euro Euro trash. Yeah. There's nothing more simplistic than your Anglo-Saxon chant. Yeah. Really? <laughs> American okay, it's, also, it's three syllables. That's Defense. all you need. <laughs> Four syllables. Yeah. But anyway, so this guy, he starts telling us he doesn't care about what we did or where we're coming from. He cares nothing about the organizational context. He just, it's just that he wants to break down the boundaries and kind of like yeah. the way... And But at the same time, he's, he know, and then he starts talking about how important tourism is to Canadian society. And we're all like... You have the wrong sector, no. you know, but no one wanted to tell him. And then like eventually, I, like later on, I got around to asking a question and I was just like, you know, what's your vision for five years from now for this decision? And he's just like, uh, well, we'll all be replaced by AI. And everyone started laughing. I'm like, oh, you're clueless. Holy shit. Yeah. Is and this recorded somewhere? This no, it wasn't. It was just sent into a hallway. And I was just, but this was par for the course. And, like, and it was very <laughs> obvious that no one. Yeah, you have some amazing stories about the, the shit that happened in this, oh, in this man. office. I literally watched, like, you know, people who call themselves, you know, whiz bang policy analysts, like the hot shots of Canadian thinking, like just like wish they were venture capitalists so they could hang out and give money to the sector and like just like be like, can I hang out with you? I'll give you money to do this in our country. I'll give you money to do this, but also do it for companies. Also do it for like research. Interesting. They're investing. Yeah. 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 We were all about all like, you know, attracting private equity from the institutional Canada investors. Canada is an enormously successful country, if you think about it. It I is, because we're tiny, we're 30 million people yeah, spread across a continent that yeah, everyone yeah. wants to buy out. A ton of resources. Exactly. resources. And it's so, really the Norway of North America. We are the Norway of North America, yeah. but we're also not smart enough to figure it all out. I'm sure that's what, the, that's what the Norwegians say to themselves. <laughs> the Norwegians figured it out, though. They got it all like, yeah, you know. I'm they, sure they're still insecure about having figured it out well the thing about like alberta right for an example as soon as they lost access to the price of uh their oil advantage right they were they were screwed because they had invested in no social safety net they had invested in no kind of like welfare state at all in a meaningful manner they never had uh, provincial taxes uh like unlike the rest of the country they were just getting by entirely on being this like flush with cash and foreign yeah, capital wow. kind of space and now everything's falling apart and they're like what happened and you know they're going crazy and you know reasonably so they were screwed mm -hmm. they weren't told difficult truths and it's yeah. hard to say difficult truths during good times because everyone's like you know oh you can just get this off and make all your constituents happy you can do this and make everyone happy but those are exactly the times you need to be making hard choices during mm -hmm. uh when times are good yeah you know Canada when times are bad you should be able to like you know help people out yeah when times are good you shouldn't yeah from yeah. an outsider's perspective it seems like canada has figured it out relatively speaking i think it's like the world's 12th largest economy for 30 million like that that's not bad at all i mean it's well, part of the g8 
mm-hmm. um, so diplomatically, you know, that the leverage that it has. Oh, Canada, Canada could not be more like I could not be more privileged in the world than yeah, if I came to Canada. The opportunities that, that have been presented to me are out, never. It's also seen very positively history. in Europe. It's it's sort of seen. Um, it's true. They're, but in, in Italy, there's that's a, a rot good... that sets in, right? In a culture, and it's a culture that that's successful. And the rod comes down to the fact that people don't have to struggle for what they earn. They it's an adolescent push. struggle. The U- the United States and Canada are both adolescent countries. Well, and they're showing well, all the typical symptoms of a country that has been raised with everything it wants. But, but and suddenly it's rebelling against its baby boomer past. These are patterns tried and true in the rotating empires of planet Earth. I don't know if I agree with that assessment, actually. I, I see America and Canada actually as the two lo- oldest democracies in the world. Continuous. It's true. There is a new empire forming, and the, that's the empire in China. It, it, that, correct. Yeah. That yeah. goes back to the memetics. There, an empire grows. It instills memetics into its cultural values enough to mm. where it's able to succeed its teacher, mm. the monster the Frankenstein. It right. becomes a new empire. China will become the new empire over time. The well, U.S. will still have a hegemony over something over that the, something that that's actually the return of China to its proper place in human civilization. Interesting. You say like, it was already there. It has been the most yeah. of human civilization until very recently. It's only been the past thousand years since that went away, which I is not that were, long in the long long. There were definitely times of isolation. Oh, I but think, that, the past, they had a dark phase in the early 1900s, which, you know, Manchuria incident, all this uh, uh, Japanese influence in particular. And they were pretty much humiliated for a long time. It was a very fractional, uh, fractional yeah, parochial country. That's true. Country. What Japan did to China is monstrous. <laughs> well, what Japan did is it turned itself into a monster to protect itself because it was forcefully opened up in it the 1800s. It turned itself to a monster. Hmm, interesting. Uh, there were definitely acts of aggression from from Japan, um, yeah, attempts to expand. Uh, well, they, Japan has a very dark, violent history. Do you, oh, absolutely. Well, they have a very a, a dedicated culture, right? Yeah, it's and confined. It's it's, it's compact, conf- that's and that's too. yeah. It's it's all a response to. Well, because what happened, right? Is Japan was shut off until I think seventeen hundreds or eighteen hundreds at some point. But they were forcefully opened by American exporters because they wanted to trade with them, and so. But America or Japan at that point hadn't like experienced any kind of contact for hun- like hun- hundreds fair, of yeah. years, and they found the world of like you know gunpowder they found the world of technology of boats that were coming from the united states and it was so different than what japan had and japan forcefully concentrated power into the hands of few feudal lords and serfs that then concentrated power into the hands of the emperor which led to the emperor death cult that emerged up into the second world war around Hirito. and it's just this so they went on on the aggressive they went on the aggressive to protect themselves and they changed to protect themselves from whom at that time they changed themselves from feudal serfs into an industrial superpower that still is maintained in the industrial what supply the chains of the world. What is it with their people that they're able to just perform such a rapid transformation? And why does Germany have that society. gene too? They're very close, tight-knit society. How are Germany and Japan? I mean, there are different... But do you think there's something uh, at the at the essence of the German and Japanese that were able to rebuild yep. successfully? Yep. I think there's a, a cultural trait and behavior, and I think it's related Oof. to organize... I think it's related to... A, 
And that gene is destined to be replicated. Uh, uh, it's not a, it's, in a it's, laboratory. It's a, it's a psychological personality trait. Right? And they will pick up on that trait. And it's it, it, here's the thing that people oh, don't talk God. about the Nazis, right? Is the Nazis and Hitler actually had a cleanliness like Did I tell program. you my grandfather was a fascist? He did. <laughs> okay. But the Nazis had a cleanliness, orderliness, um, like dictate the streets were always clean. clean. That was actually one of the big part of the appeal. And that appeals to the German character. But like no, but think like more like the industrial supply chain. Absolutely, what like, they managed to do after losing two world wars is is incredible. You know, they they demolished them after the first one, and they overpenalized them. Right, people were incredibly angry, hungry, essentially. Yeah. So hungry. you know, you know what's messed about Germany though, is that Germans. <laughs> I'm a sh- my name's Schultz. Oh, you know, I apologize. come deeply or no, I don't appreciate. Uh, was that was that cut off at some point? Schultz. Yeah. I, I haven't, I don't know nothing about my German heritage. Hmm. Like that was on my father's I'm wondering side. if that's a Jewish. Uh, I, 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 there's reason to believe. Yeah. I'll put it that way. Uh, Jewish heritage. Yeah. yeah. But not much. Um, mostly deep down Irish Catholic. Okay. But the name comes from the German side. Okay. It's by fortuitous luck of the, you know, male lineage. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 You know, um, no, it, you know, there's this whole idea that's kind of hilarious when you think about Germany is that, you know, why they're such a frightening country and is that they've had the audacity not once but twice now to take on the entire world. Yeah. It's rather auspicious. Like, it's a, mm-hmm. a bold move. You know, most countries are happy to be belligerent to their neighbors. Yeah. Germany, the whole world. And now Europe. I mean, they're doing it again, essentially, in a very diplomatic way. They're, yeah. Well, this time, then the, that's the argument about the EU, right? Is that it's it's German domination by other means and by yeah. diplomatic means. Germany is dominating by the only means they have capable right now, which is like financially and mm. diplomatically. And do you they, think that's just like a German obsessive like control? I do, to a certain degree. I do think it is part of the German. It's definitely character. a cultural. It's a yeah. cultural trait. I don't disagree. It's a cultural trait, yeah. and I, I think what's scary is that it's only a matter of time before somebody picks up on that cultural trait mm. and through epigenetics or what have you starts to just create people that are extremely driven so you think germans could just be triggered like kind of by <laughs> environmental stim- uh, stimulus stimulus to just yeah. be extremely be like, motivated that's a fascinating idea and it's yeah. worth considering but it, it could also don't say it out loud like on the <laughs> podcast or something because it could lead to like okay so we could talk about the canadian government things, <laughs> uh, but as soon as you talk about replicating germans well no no it's, it's, it's more about like the con the idea that there are inherent biological cultural traits that like could be triggered or sent off then you're doing it about What's every country. Now? Do you think Do you think that China is following some ethical guidelines when it comes to not replicating humans? Do you my, think my China, question. My question. Okay, here because China. Do, China don't give a shit. China get that on the shit. podcast. I, I totally agree. China do <laughs> not doing, give yeah. a shit. They're they are, they are very likely, almost certainly, at the leading edge of. Um, Gene picking, essentially. Well, yeah, the whole world of CRISPR, right? They're just yeah, going to, exactly. like, absolutely just run away with it. That's right? a good example, yeah. and, But, that, again, you know, that's the mimetic risk, right? Is that, like, yeah. you have to go after it. You have to, but, like, pursue that yeah. before China does. But do I believe that there's actually a gene within Germans that makes them more laborious and more productive? Uh, I don't necessarily think so. Well, I think let's, more think about it, let's think about it this way, right? The culture celebrates what is rewarded. This, the culture celebrates laboriousness. It, it celebrates industriousness, yeah. yeah you're born into it. You are bred by it. But, and so if you're selecting for laborious people... 
then the gene has it too. Yeah, that's true. And we, so, like, but yeah, the, yeah. that's the fascinating manner in yeah. which uh, we, gene, that gene has been modified. The culture so, can drive evolution. It does, and it, it has. And it, it must. It, right. What would be the point of our sexual right, selection? Right. But we're about to enter a phase where everything is going to go fast forward. Once we actually ha- can tweak those parameters ourselves in a laboratory. What then, are we, why, why, like, what do we do with that? Like, that's so. I'm much. not saying what are we. This is I'm our whole. This is, our whole. This is co- an irreversible destiny that we're into. I think. Yeah, I and I think this is probably where you and I would like philosophically and fundamentally disagree. I'm, I'm not saying I'm for it. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not technologically deterministic. I actually think the human struggle and character will not change hmm. meaningfully. I think these are different challenges and express them differently. But I think the challenges will fundamentally, we're not that different than our ancestors, we like to think. Mm-hmm. I think we're flattering ourselves by suggesting that we are. And I think the stories of our ancestors are still extraordinarily relevant. And it's our failure to understand them in front of these technologies that makes these technologies so d- d- disastrous and p- potentially catastrophic. Okay, that's well said. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Thank you for listening. Uh, Mike, it's been a pleasure having you. It's been an absolute treat. Thanks for I hope this. you enjoy Seattle. Me too. Man. Have a good night, everyone.